Hey folks, we're back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode 109. Everybody, uh, welcome back. It's goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tells from New Orleans special Mother's Day edition remote podcast with a super special guest. We got remote. We're over at the Republic. We just packed it all into one bag and we came out to the Republic. And uh, just before we get started, I want to say shout out to all the mothers out there on Mother's Day, That's right. uh, especially mine, especially yours as well. How about Joel? Spencer's? Spencer's mom. Yeah. How about Eric's mom, mom as yeah. well? Yeah, that's right. Let's just shout out their names. Let's do. Let's let's introduce our guests and then do a little bit of housekeeping with our guests because Eric, we always do housekeeping at the top before okay. we get to the guest interview. Sure. But I think you should be part of the housekeeping, and the only housekeeping we're doing tonight is is shouting out our moms, uh, folks. This is Eric San, um, Kid Koala. Mm-hmm. Who's in town? We're gonna get to why he's in town, but let's go around the table and shout. Eric, why don't you start? Shout out your mom for Mother's Day. Yeah, make some noise for Mimi San. She's on vacation somewhere today. You don't know where Sweet. she's at? Somewhere? She's. I, I think she's on a cruise with my dad somewhere. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Ocean. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she's yeah, you're probably right. not tuning into this podcast. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joan Duville. I want to say hi, Mom. I was speaking to her just a little while ago. Give my mom a call. A couple nights from now, we're going to go out and have a nice dinner. Good. Because uh, as you know, we've got the big birthday bash coming up on Wednesday. That's right. As well. So I'm going to have dinner with the folks on Tuesday. Oh, good. In order to wait. Yeah, my mom and I always have a conjoined uh, because birthday, of Mother's Day birthday. Mother's Day thing. Yeah, exactly. Birthday That's on fun. the 17th, Mother's Day on the 14th. And maybe we'll tell Eric about the ham kick that we're going to do. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we're gonna get to, yeah. we're gonna get to Eric first. Yes. But then we might circle back around to the ham, the Storyville ham kick that we're doing on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll talk it's about that. It's pretty rad. Spencer, what about you, Ryan? Uh, I just got off the phone with my mom on the way here, so happy Mother's Day, mom. Uh, her birthday's next week, so I'll see if I can find something to do for her then. Yeah, do something sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, my mom is Beverly Ga- Beverly Gale. She has been on the podcast, and she's on the podcast T-shirt. So. Yeah, that's right. It's all good. Shout out to Beverly yeah, right. and also to Rhonda as well. I want to thank your mother for allowing us to use her uh, <laughs> to use, her. <laughs> to use her, her password for the for for ESPN like or yeah, whatever or for cable TV. Cable yeah, TV. right. Exactly. We use Spencer's. We mom. need that. Okay. Very grateful, mom. <laughs> yeah. <that's> right. <laughs> all right. Housekeeping done. Let's intro the guest. Kid Koala's in the house. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks man. for having me. Really appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it, yeah. And you, so you guys called an audible, man, right? Because I was working on my computer, doing some stuff on Friday afternoon, and I got a, a, a private message via Facebook per Brian, your tour manager. Yeah. And saying, hey, our Dallas gig got canceled for Sunday. Yeah. We're looking for some sort of alternative. So what? So you, and you guys, you guys, you guys were in Austin last night, right? And you yeah. guys just made it happen. Yeah. So we were driving. We have to drive east. Our next show's in Durham. Right. And um, we just looked at the map. So <laughs> where, where should we stop? Because the driver, the bus, the tour bus driver, can only drive a certain amount of hours a day. Right. And so we looked, and within that range was New Orleans. And, so we just put it out to the crew. You guys want to stop in New Orleans? And everyone obviously said, "Yeah, absolutely." And right, so, <laughs> why not? 
do you guys want to do a show? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> if there's a chance to do a show in New Orleans, I will, you know, twist my rubber arm. And, then... <laughs> and so we, Eric, you and I met last year, and we're going to get to the show that you're doing tonight in about mm-hmm. two hours and, and the rest of your tour and everything else under the sun. But you and I met uh, when I was working on at the CAC mm-hmm. when you guys did Nephonia Must Fall yeah. at the CAC. And I gotta tell you, man, and Jeff was there because he shot video for it during the rehearsals. And then Ben Elman from Galactic was there, mm-hmm. the dude who's the creator of Lil Doogie. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Lil Doogie. Oh, yeah, you're talking Balzac. Right? Thank you. Balzac, Balzac and Odoms. Yeah, mm-hmm. Balzac and Odoms. Balzac was there. And everyone just, these are all music producers and media producers, and everyone's minds were blown away at the level of the integration of music, media, set design, puppetry. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just an insane, insanely awesome project. Is that yeah. ever going to happen again? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. That, that show continues to be booked. It's a live film that we create in one take in front of the audience using five cameras, 20 miniature sets, 75 puppets, a team of puppeteers and cinematographers, a string quartet, and myself on piano and turntables scoring it all live. So everything happens in real time. You can watch the film on the screen above as it's being made, or you can look down on the stage and see us all running around That's chaotically right. um, trying to you know, get everything ready for the next. Yeah. So, what's the future of, of Nephonia? What's the sorry? What, what's the future of Nephonia? Like um, we actually have uh, some more U.S. dates booked and some more uh, European dates planned and Asian dates. Planned. And where do people go to find that info on that? Um, you know, kidkoala.com, Anything that we post, or, or you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Any anything that that is confirmed, I'll start. One of my favorite moments, man, was like. And you got I gotta just say, first of all, shout out shout out to the Canadians. Cause y'all are cool. And, and and it was like my first week on the job. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. It was my first week oh, on the job. Geez. And it was a hustle. And you guys were so professional, so cool, so warm, and like it trickled down to everyone in the crew and cast and the and everyone did everything too. I was just so charmed by y'all. And one of my favorite moments, though, was when Jeff here of oh, itsgoodlifebabe.com, Jeff Jules tells from Orleans. Your co-host? Co-host. Yeah. That's- <laughs> Came over to shoot some video yeah. for archival purposes for the CAC, mm-hmm. right? And I introduced you guys, and you and Brian were in the middle of, like, naming, like, localizing your set. Like, the set, one oh, of the set pieces right. in terms yeah. of, like, what... Like record shop should we do? What coffee shop should we do? What bar should we do? And that was a really fun fifteen minute conversation of like what what of New Orleans should be represented on this set for because you guys in every city it sounds like you guys do. Yeah, right? we'll localize the show to where we're playing. We just I've been on so many tours where you kind of just fall into autopilot and you just kind of get stuck with the same set and the same experience over it as a performer. I think that's not fair to the audience. So I like to try to localize the show, try to add new stuff or tweak it specifically for the show, for that city, for that audience. So you know, you know, the, the show you saw in New Orleans isn't the same as the one we did in 
Santiago, Chile, or in Taipei a month earlier, or something. You know, it it, it kind of celebrates the fact that we're here, the audience is here, and let's just make it happen. And it was such right, a hit, right. man, because like the audience reaction, the laughter. Yeah. During that one, and during a very important scene too. Yeah. You know. Oh, there's a couple of scenes, but I remember, I remember we we put a second line band in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're during right. One part, and we almost had to. We had to hold that scene for an extra minute because everyone was cheering so. That's loud. right. <laughs> how do you, how do you accomplish something like that? Because it just seems uh, like, excuse me, such a, uh, <laughs> a tightly scripted kind of thing. Hey, can, hold on one second. Yeah, can you go out there and ask them to just turn the volume down? Folks, we're if they can, then we deal with the we're in the green room at the Republic right. for a show. That, that's right. This is this is Adira Amram's soundtrack. She's, um, she's an act that I saw in New York. She's so hilarious. I mean, you gotta get on the tour bus people with me. Yeah, and I've never seen an, an, an as far as an opening act like turn a completely cold crowd go from zero to a thousand in under two songs like she's, she's that much of a phenomenon wow nice yeah and she's on the tour she's on the whole tour with well let's segue this was a perfect way look folks we're not great producers for this show and we didn't and look this is a great segue though and we didn't have to stop the thank music. you thank you yeah Thanks, we don't Spencer. have to stop it but just yeah. maybe just cut it down a little bit <laughs> just make sure they're they not stop. okay yeah. and and yeah. and this is a great segue for where we're at right now tell us um Eric, about what you're doing with this with this vault, this uh, vinyl vaudeville, yep. the silliest show on earth. <laughs> um, Floor Kids edition. So we're doing an 18 city tour. We're promoting a video game that uh, we just released called Floor Kids. It's a b boy, b girl breakdance video game. Um, it's out on Nintendo Switch now, and it's coming to Steam on May 16th, and then PS4 and Xbox later in the summer. And the soundtrack, I did all the music and the sound design. There's like over 40 tracks. Nice. Um, in the game, it's been released on Double Vinyl through Arts and Crafts Records and all digital platforms. So that's that just came out last week, the soundtrack. And so we're out here on tour, and we thought, you know, I've been working on this video game for about five years now. Are you serious? So we're just really wow. excited that that it's out and um so is that like scoring a film it's way more complicated than scoring a film in my opinion because you have to deal with the fact that the game changes constantly yeah there's a game there's there's someone in the future who is going to play it and And change their yeah the way they play it will change the the sound effects they're triggering it'll change all this kind of stuff dude that's insane but um that's it. We just said, okay, let's let's do a tour to celebrate this, and and we picked Vinyl Vaudeville. It's one of my favorite shows to tour. I mean, Euphonia, I love, also, you know, um, but that's sort of a different like a, a theater like seated kind of venue mm-hmm. thing. And here we just it's wanted to do party. a big dance party, and so yeah, right. I have a troupe of three dancers. I have puppeteers we have a 20 foot spider we have a nine foot <laughs> ogre we have dancing penguins dancing we have penguins, uh giant robots <laughs> there's a big paper airplane fight at one point in the show Whoa. Wait, wait, and i'm paper, not even like let's don't skip over the paper airplane fight. yeah 
So as you How's can see go? here, I mean, this, there's this giant trumpet right here. Yeah, there's like a giant, that, uh, what appears to be like, like a... a 20-foot trumpet that, <laughs> right. that I, I do a, a song called Drunk Trumpet. It's my ode to Louis Armstrong. <laughs> oh, great. Are you serious? Yeah. How'd it's that from come my about? It's from my first album, Carpal Tunnel Syndrome. Yeah, you're right. I love and, that album. Um, Big fan. Well, I grew up listening to a lot of New Orleans jazz, or, you know, jazz in general. My father was a huge fan, so Billie Holiday... Um, you grew up in Montreal? Louis Armstrong. In Vancouver, actually. Vancouver, okay. Yeah. Mm. So that was kind of like the soundtrack to my childhood. And when I started playing turntables, which was about 12, I started on piano when I was four, but when I started playing turntables when I was 12, I was kind of, you know, trying to find different ways to scratch and stuff. And at one point, um, the concept of trying to bend like one trumpet note that I'd found on a record and see if I can bend it into other notes and just sort of solo blues off of it. Yeah. Um, and and the first time I tried it, it's like, because I, I, you can bend certain notes like mechanically on the turntable. Like if you hit 45 RPM, it'll go up a perfect fourth, you know? Yes. But then any right. notes in between, you'd have to either push your hand faster or slower or you turn the motor completely off and you try to get all your microtones out of that. And so when I was trying to solo over this 12-bar blues, like it, it sounded like a trumpet player, only a really inebriated one. So there was, there was a routine that... <laughs> well, that's the New Orleans. Drunk you know. trumpet. <laughs> trumpet. Right, right. Um, James Andrews, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was kind of like... He's a guest. I'm not saying he's drunk. <laughs> so that... So... I mean, yeah, but the whole idea, the concept of this show is that it starts really weird, and every subsequent song, as we visit or revisit different tracks and different albums and different eras that, of, of music that I've been involved with, that, that it's its own act with its own uh, set changes, set costume changes, set uh, choreographies, uh, puppetry, and and audience interaction so it just keeps unfolding the show just kind of keeps getting stranger and wilder until it reaches maximum bonkersness you know so um that's 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 what we're here doing and seeing is that we were driving through new orleans and the driver had to stop at some point right we said well we're here you know we um you linked us up with the republic and they said actually we got nothing yeah. going on tonight and you can park your bus outside right. it's like oh well, let's do this and, and seeing the venue it's actually the perfect venue for it yeah. you know the stage size and and the, the the vibe of the room and the balcony and everything it's gonna create great sight lines for everyone to see all the, so all the how, how do you how do you call an audible on like publicizing an event like that from just like you know with a day or two days advance notice um, I reached out to my friends at Prez Hall, uh, oh, uh, Ben good. Jaffe. Sure. Um, that's my link to New Orleans. It's like when I was growing up, my father, who said, you know, one of his favorite moments in music was was uh, coming to to New Orleans when he was in college and and seeing the Prez Hall band play, mm -hmm. and um, so it was really one of those things where he, when he knew I was starting to travel professionally touring and stuff he said you know if you ever make it to New Orleans you got to go check out the band check out the, the jazz bands there and try to visit Prez Hall and stuff and and so I did I went 
I think this was after Carpal Tunnel Syndrome had come out, and I was down here and I went to see Prez Hall, and it, and as promised, it totally blew my mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. um, that it's such a small room, no amplification, everyone right. just breathing into their instruments and just there. It was just uh, basically a spiritual experience for me. There was a song they did, Basin Street Blues, which of course I knew, and then I, I kept going to all these other jazz clubs that weekend, and every band played Basin Street Blues at least <laughs> once. And right. so on my plane ride back, you know, I was, I was flying back home, and I said, you know what, I know how I'm going to start my next album. I'm going to start it with the turntable version of Basin Street Blues. Dude. Really? And so on Some of My Best Friends Are DJs, which is my second album, the opening track is Basin Street Blues all bent together off like single trombone notes and single upright bass notes that I found and just bent it into play. So we did, that record came out and my cousin did an animated video for it, which I guess you could see on YouTube and stuff now. And, and it was sort of this sort of uh, dirge funeral march second line, but psychedelic version <laughs> animated video for it. And, um, a like I would say almost eight months or a year later or something uh -huh. like that I get a call from Ben Jaffe or my manager gets a call and her knowing that I'm a huge fan of Prez Hall says we just got a call from Preservation Hall and Ben Jaffe wants to invite you to play at the hall and I said what are you talking about I play turntables like, how is that even going to work <laughs> and um, so, I, so I called Ben and he said you know we saw your version that video you did of Basin Street Blues and we feel you really captured something th you know that, 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 that thing you know and, and I said oh wow I'm like greatly you know, super honored and um, so I got to play at the hall they set up a turntable and a little mini amplifier and and I was able to, you know, trade licks with Charlie Gabriel instead. It was like oh, wow. a real dream come true. That's great. Yeah, and um, yeah. Funny thing about that show is my my manager, Rena Thompson, she said, you know, I know this is a big deal for you, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I was more nervous for that show than, you know, like playing Madison Square Garden with Radiohead or something. It was like, th th this was like the quintessence. For me, the, I was like, I can't mess this up, you know. Right, I remember right. asking them, it's like, you guys ever nervous about playing here, you know? And they're like, <laughs> I said, baby, please. <laughs> as soon as you're old enough to hold a tambourine, you're in the marching band in this town. I'm like, oh. And it was so funny because it was just a different approach to music. Right, Whereas sure. I started in classical piano where right. it was very strict. It was very, yes. like, you got to, you got to master these arpeggios yeah and then in a, in a competition he's like okay see that five-year-old there you need to annihilate that five-year-old so you're gonna this is my yes you know yes. when i was right. five and i'm like but i don't yeah. even know that kid right <laughs> you know so it really kind of is a different upbringing in music and and but at the same time growing up listening to jazz in the house you know to actually be able to play it with actual jazz musicians i was just so honored you know that's super cool, and and I just want to say too that you're this is the second podcast in a row where we've had somebody uh, talk about leaving New Orleans and it inspiring a piece of music uh, that got made somewhere mm -hmm. else. Uh, so in the last podcast, we had a guest who was uh, from Colombia who was like, "You're never going to believe this, but there's a, somebody in Barranquilla, Colombia, who made a song 
that essentially is called Barranquilla is so much like New Orleans. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and she she played a little bit of that song, you know. So uh, there's there's this kind of thread that's going on on the podcast that people are being inspired when they come to New Orleans. I mean, your inspiration is a little bit more deep, you know, because of your father and 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 that mm-hmm. connection um, and listening to to music that came out of New Orleans. Um, but uh, no, it's still my go-to music when I'm sort of just trying to recenter. That's my right, right, music. yeah. And I grew up in Vancouver, which is a, pretty much as far on the continent as you can get from that's New right. Orleans. Right, right. But that said, it's still like always been a very like comforting music ever since I was a kid to listen to. So I know. Yeah, just, I know all yeah. the Louis Armstrong stuff. All the Louis Armstrong stuff, yeah. You know, like, right. <laughs> and so when it comes down to, like, bending notes and stuff, like, I, yeah, I kind of just, it's just cataloged as part of my DNA now in terms of hearing it in my head, attempting to do it on turntables and realizing, you know, I'm just in my 40s right now. I, I still need, like, a few more decades before I can get to that level. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that dude was the king. I appreciate the fact that you talk about it uh, from a musical standpoint because you mentioned that uh, the the movement from one speed to another to 45 is an exact perfect fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, talk, talk about your realization at, at some point because I think uh, most people get into turntables and correct me if I'm wrong because they want to do uh, get into hip hop and b-boy mm-hmm. uh, kind of community and, and, and yeah. that, that scene at some point but now you're applying uh, things that come straight out of uh, musical theory well when I started I think it was, a, it was actually a bit of a rebellion to the classical music upbringing that I had and I just wanted to sure the, I, can the crazier, I can empathize the crazier <laughs> more alien sounds I could create the more cacophonous sounds I could create yes. off the turntable that's what I probably spent my first two three years of scratching doing right making sometimes irritating but very technical noises and mastering like that technique um but moving forward I just realized again you know you you can't escape the music that you grew up with or the music that's just that you've heard the most in your life and then I realized at some point it's like yeah you know uh, all those elements like melody harmony all those things that you don't I realized like some of these pieces or some of these performances like move me because they used these other sides of music. You know, it, was, it wasn't just about being like a sideshow or freak show about it. It's just more about, okay, there's something fundamental. Like when you work with that harmony in the music, it creates a beautiful thing, you know, which is, which is the first thing I will, I, I will say, if you listen to my Basin Street Blues rendition, I'll tell you right off the bat, that's not jazz. Like to me, jazz is created by you know a number of people in real time improvised you know whereas i i was like it was like the lonely (laughs) dj's jazz in terms of like i had to go in and you know i just had an e flat plucked on a on an upright bass i had to cut on record and like and i had to bend it into all these notes like I, i pretty much just scatted a solo or like, 
you know what I mean? Just sort of walking solo over yeah. the chords of sure. Basin Street Blues. And then I had to teach myself how to bend those notes out of that one note and then play it. And so that, just the bass parts itself took me a week to figure out how to do it and practice it and then add the, the clarinet line. I found a clarinet note off this old classical record where they were just holding it for three bars. And that to me oh. is like gold because <laughs> right, right, once, yes. once I yeah. have that, I'm like, oh, I got three rotations of this clarinet notes. I can actually bend it. You know, I have time to bend it right, with right. my hands. Sure. You know, with the pitch control on the turntable, or whatever, and then I had to practice that, and then layer that in, and then right. so, so really that track took several weeks to make, and and it's me playing off already recorded older versions of me doing other turntable instruments. Now that's not jazz to me. That's it's like when I realized that so clearly, like playing, just being on stage at Prez Hall, like. Jazz is when it's there and everybody's there and right. you're just, oh, yeah, sure. you know, Charlie was telling sure. me, he's like, okay, if you both bend up to the third and you land on the third, then one of you has to get out of the way. So just go up to the fifth or go to, if you both go up to the fifth and you start, you know, so it's this constant like dialogue that's happening yeah, every, that's right. every millisecond of yes. the performance. Yes. And I feel that that's like the most exhilarating or one of the most exhilarating experiences I've had playing live music, you know. But I but felt like I learned more about playing music that one night, or even that one thirty-two bars where I'm trading. <laughs> sure, sure. Than I have like ten years of DJing by myself, you know. But I want to ask you a question because I, I want to see if I understand a little bit of the, the technical uh, description of what you're talking about. As I understand it, you have uh, if you're talking about doing a pitch control, mm -hmm. that's a very small slider, right? Is that is yeah? That the, how that the pitch works? Well, the pitch control on, on a, a regular techniques turntable it will almost give you a semitone up and down not, a semitone up and down right yeah, yeah. so yeah. if you hit 45 rpm you go up fourth and then you have a semitone up and down from that gotcha. you actually have to add some tension to the side of the wheel to get it bent perfectly into place gotcha for the semitones mm -hmm. but now more what I've been practicing is just leaving the pitch at zero and trying to teach teach like my the twitch muscles in my fingers to actually be able to hit certain intervals like Can, correctly. I mean that's, so, that's like, like an amazing amount of dexterity I mean, that's required in order to I do mean, that. I mean but it's like right? anything it's like any instrument really you know eventually it reminds me of trombone a little bit you know like because it's a slide uh, kind yes. of instrument you know what yeah, I mean? You yeah. have to slide into the note a little bit right you know yes. you don't have and a that's, definite that's marker. Velocity, it's the velocity of how fast you're moving that's going to change the pitch. Right. Um, and, and now it's like I mean even from watching harmonica players like how they can get a note from drawing. That's an, yeah. So then I realized, oh, well, right. you, you get, not only can you teach your hands how to like push notes out in intervals going forward on the draw on the reverse when you're pulling the record back, you got to you teach yourself. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, if you want to, you know, that's like a thing that you could practice where you can actually do it in the most economical way on the turntable, but it takes literally weeks you know what yeah I mean? sure. just for one riff sometimes. for one little riff for one i mean riff, right. for me i mean i don't right it's just one of those things it's going to take me real like decades to get <laughs> to the point right. where i feel like <laughs> I, I i can be on that level you know sure but right now it's i'm having fun playing around
And how is it that you transition between like a show that's as technically complex as uh, as last year's show and and something like this? Like that just it just seems it's an enormous amount of work and. Uh, you know, almost it, well, you know, it doesn't feel like work when you're having fun. We're even having fun, right? Sure. Even newphonia, it right, doesn't right. feel like work. We just yeah. we just try to crack That's each good. other up in the studio and sure. on stage. Um, to be honest, like technically, this show is you know, it's the same duration. It's about seventy minutes, and there's a, there's costume changes, choreography. There's all sorts of things that you have to hit mm. as being a performer as part of this troupe for this show. Um, I think the only difference in terms of experientially is the context of it being the film. <laughs> yeah, that's a, well, that's a film, and it's sort of like the narrative of that. Whereas this right. is just sort of the most joyous, like party. Right. Um, there are moments of, that are quite theatrical, like when the twenty-foot spider starts like crawling through the audience, <laughs> and people just start realizing they're like, "Oh, I'm somewhere," you know, I'm not. Yeah. Inside joke, Joel uh, likes a twenty-foot spider. Oh, right, are you yeah, a total? Yeah, might get, yeah, you for, might get uh, for fans of the show excited. <laughs> <laughs> for people who have listened, I used to monkey climb on one of the most, well, maybe the most famous sculpture spiders in the world, and I had no business doing it. But uh, <laughs> all right, go back and listen to old podcasts, folks. Right. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> it's at the New Orleans, it's at the New Orleans Sculpture Garden, though. Everybody, awesome. I used to climb on it like a monkey bars. Um, I've, your dad, like, what was it? Where'd your dad come from, and what was it? What? Why was he so into music? I don't know. He uh, he's a he's a scientist. He was a geneticist, and he was a cancer researcher. Um, but he always loved music. Yeah, and I did destroy most of his record collection in the first year of teaching. <laughs> but I think at that point he was at that age where he wasn't didn't have that much time. You know, he was just trying to work and keep the family sure. fed and stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, he always he always loved music. He never got a chance to uh, learn piano as a child. So it's it actually in his retirement. He was sixty-two or something where he started to take piano lessons. That's amazing. Yeah, right. And he did force all of the children to <laughs> go through piano lessons. And at the time, like I said, I didn't have forced. the best time. <laughs> oh yeah, no, when you're that age, you're five you're years forced. old, you're like, I want to I wanna be you know, playing with my friends or doing sure. something else. Yeah, that's right. But um, in hindsight, I'm, I'm glad I had that experience. Yeah. But where, where your, and your parents, Grew up at Van uh, Vancouver. No, they were immigrants. They grew up uh -huh. in like in southern China and okay. uh, Hong Kong, and mm -hmm. um, they met there. And then my father flew to the West Coast, of Canada, uh, to study at UBC, and then went to McGill to finish his doctorate, and and then and then eventually um, my mom flew out to join him. I think there was like seven years where. They didn't see each other, but they were writing while married or courting. No, no, courtship. just courting. courtship. And yeah. they were writing letters to each other two a week. They wouldn't even wait for one to respond to one. They were just wow. constant communication. <laughs> and I think I, that's where sweet. I get my romantic side. It was really sweet. Yeah, my my father, what he would do uh, on the topic of music is he would take his reel-to-reel -reel recorder 
and he would record the radio um and he would tape songs off the radio you know like whatever the 50s and 60s like hits were at the time or stuff that he liked and then he would send those reel-to-reels to my mom and she would listen to them, like mixtapes you know wow, and my great. mom what, what oddly learned english from those songs you're kidding yeah <laughs> and what year are we talking about again I'm sorry. i mean this would have been in the 50s 60s right yeah unbelievable right. yeah, yeah that's so, great so he you know incidentally i actually have uh, i i have i know because louis armstrong used to make mixtapes on his reel to reel and he would like do liner notes and talk about songs that he dug and sure, stuff sure famous so for his thing. letter writing as well yeah yeah right yeah so anyways he also did artwork one. on cassette tapes did he That's, i need to see some well, of that this here like if you guys have it's at the uh jazz museum uh uh Curated it. Oh, we're gonna have to get in touch with Dave. But it's at the uh, what's the yeah. what's the it's the Louisiana Jazz or New Orleans New Louisiana Jazz Museum at the Mint. At the Mint. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Louis, there. Louis Armstrong right. did like collage Mixtapes. Did collage art on yeah. tapes. I, yeah, I have seen that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a book with him right. and stuff in it. It's beautiful. <laughs> and they were just found in an attic somewhere. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? Like in his lifetime it wasn't like a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's rad. I know. That's crazy. He's the number one scrapbooker and like the number no. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so what's on the horizon uh, for you? Like what? Uh, oh, it's really funny you should ask, and it does have something to do with New Orleans. Um, we're doing a new show in the style of Newphonia, uh, like a live film, and it's based on my next graphic novel, which is called Storyville Mosquito. What? And it's Sweet. about a mosquito <laughs> from the country who <laughs> travels to the big city. <laughs> big city that oddly looks a lot like New Orleans and <laughs> tries to join a jazz band. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Folks, I don't, uh, for anybody who's listening out there, and if you're not familiar with Kit Koala's work or the Newphonia uh, concept that we were talking about here, I. What I liken it to, and you know, maybe people's memories aren't—I mean, this is before my time, before all of our times—but in the earliest days of television, they had a thing called American Playhouse that they used to do, mm-hmm. and it was uh, 100% live performance, and you would have, you know, a set or two. It would be a play that was done. Rod Serling was a big part of it, um, one of the big writers, and all these all of these actors that you got to know in the 70s and whatnot were on it as well, Jack Klugman, etc. And um, it was like, uh, it was done live on television. You had a set and then you had a commercial break and during mm-hmm. the commercial break you would change the set. And it, it reminds me of that, you know, because like the level of blocking that has to happen like yeah. like I, I i can't sing its praises enough because uh pulling off something like that is a real feat and you guys do it with panache and uh, and as you said yeah. before you have fun doing it and like i think that that's the that's a key element is to have fun uh working with the people that you were uh, certainly oh yeah absolutely. and and uh and 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 but pulling it off you know it's not i would it's 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 not a simple thing. We shouldn't minimize that um, <laughs> because, uh, like for instance, when I was watching it, and I'm, I was videotaping uh, this one part where the robot is uh, running away from the 
bad robot the good robots Hex running away bot. from the bad robot mm -hmm. right exactly and the running away is accomplished by this rotating uh, uh, cylinder and uh, there's this thing where the, the the bad robot is waiting in an alley and mm -hmm. and I was like the, the timing on that was like was just splendid because it, there's a comedic element to it as well mm -hmm. where like he runs past the alleyway right. you see the robot in the alleyway and then he goes backwards so the cylinder's going one way but then very slowly it has to go back the other way and he sees right and all of that is super important to, to me yeah I mean if you get that wrong then the comedy doesn't yeah, every, register yeah everybody has to I always say it's akin the show is akin to like all 14 of us on one surfboard <laughs> right. Uh, if it's something right. you know, if there's an right. issue with the puppet, or if there's an issue, with, then sometimes it's the musicians need to like buy them some time so that they could get the lighting in place or something. Like that. Hopefully, the audience doesn't notice. But every night, there's always you know some catastrophe that we're fixing on the spot, and that's, sure. that's what makes it really fun. And I think people, at least from a performance aspect, can sense there's an urgency to what's happening because we only have one take to do this, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say one of the main influences for that piece and for the book originally that I'd written was it was almost a screenplay to some silent film that was never made um, that, that goes back to like Charlie Chaplin's work because I remember being as a child really blown away by that and that was already generations before my time sure but I remember it was a piece I went we saw modern times my, my, my mom said oh, we're gonna watch this movie together grandma you and, and you know kids and the parents and all three generations were like laughing and crying side splitting funny yeah yeah to so the same right. work and and I realized you know that's kind of cool that there's this thing that can cross the generations. Yes, and and yes. I always held that even even you know in my twenties when it when it was like Everything's riding the turntable wave and everywhere I was playing was like you know nightclubs to college kids and it was that I I knew like in my heart of hearts that eventually I wanted to start moving towards creating work or or music or books or experiences that could hopefully do what that chaplain stuff did to that I remember you know in right. terms of how it affected my family because it was only a handful of times where you're ever going to get the teenagers the parents and the grandparents or and the toddlers <laughs> to all agree that that was a good show right well you that's know, like that's the second right. line here in New Orleans that's exactly right. yeah. exactly yeah. I mean yeah. that's it's multi-generational exactly sure. yeah yeah um, I want to shameless self-promotion since you met since you brought up um Story Phil uh, Mosquito. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jeff and I mm -hmm. are, are having a, a Storyville ham kick to celebrate the tricentennial, New Orleans tricentennial, tricentennial celebration on Jeff's birthday on Wednesday at Pal's Lounge. Okay. So, yeah, and also Derek. It's <laughs> a ham kick. It's a ham yeah. kick. Derek Smoker Take Freeman's uh, birthday as well. That's right. It should be mentioned, friend of the pod, and uh, also member of Soul Brass Band. Uh, a ham kick uh, was explained to us as being uh, a dance, a traditional dance that took place in Storyville. Okay. Um, that was done by uh, by work working by, class women. Yeah, working women. AKA okay. Working, working women in uh, in in Storyville. Um, I, I I suppose part of their the duties that mm -hmm. they would uh, have to perform would be to entertain in this kind of like you know. 
uh, body in a way, mm -hmm. variety show kind of thing mm -hmm. um, that people expected you know, and paid for. And uh, one of the things that they did was this thing called a ham kick, where they would hang an actual ham okay. from the rafters of okay. some place. And then uh, gradually the the ham would be lifted a little bit higher and a little bit higher. Okay. And the woman who could kick the highest and, and kick the ham the got highest, got like to take the ham home. she won, she got to take the <laughs> ham uh, home. That was oh, the really? that was the yeah. contest. No, that was the thing. Wow. But it was also yeah, exactly. like who could get the most pendulum swing too. Well, so it was, there were oh, yeah, people was, judging. That's oh, okay. Right? And people would be around judging. Judging. Them. Yeah. Yeah, wow. exactly. So there's music playing. We're, re we're recreating yes. that. Yeah, yeah. There would be music playing. Amazing. Know. So Tuesday, yeah. I have a like a, a pre-production meeting at Pals to figure out how to do the. Yeah, we have to figure kick. out how to do the hand kick. There's some video online on that we can okay. uh, we can send to you yeah. as well. Uh, we had a guest on Maureen Johnson who was a part of a uh, uh, in the earliest part of the burlesque scene taking root in New Orleans. There was a club called the Shim Sham Club. Which is now uh, One Eye Jacks, right. right on Toulouse Street in, mm -hmm. in the French Quarter, and uh, they had an in-house burlesque crew called uh, the Shim Shamettes, and Maureen was one of the original ones oh, that was okay. a part of that, and she's maintained this uh, this interest in dancing and, and, and she's the a burlesque, producer and she's now is a producer, right. but you know, and 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 did her homework about you know these things that went on in, in Storyville and said that produced the ham kick, and uh, she was great. So she as was, we're celebrating our 300 year anniversary <laughs> of New Orleans, we're like, this is appropriate. This is what we're gonna do. <laughs> right. The ham kick. What I read is like it was like 1890s or something. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, in the heyday of Storyville. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's time we bring it back. Yeah, it's time. It's really time for the ham kick to come back. Yeah. So we're gonna rock that shit. So out, and dog. the and the ladies at pals, by the way, you know, which is a which is a it's a you know, there's a, some uh, Susan, shout out to Susanna Corsi, who's the principal owner. I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but uh, she's the owner that's there and present all the time. These are ladies that are very interested in the ham kick. <laughs> Sweet. Who's right, not so. interested in the ham kick? <laughs> Everyone's interested in the ham kick. Totally. Our ham kick show is like the uh, vinyl vaudeville, man. It's like it's all it's washed with buzz. Everyone's I, talking about it. I think it's going to be off the hook. <laughs> it's going to be off the hook. Yeah, that's right. So where are you guys going next in terms of uh, vinyl vaudeville? Uh, we're going to Durham. It's it's all within the week. We got six cities uh, left, including New Orleans. So we have Durham. We have Philadelphia, uh, Washington D.C., nice. New York, and Boston. We have we have a lot of podcast fans in most of those cities. I awesome. guess really all of them. I mean, I, think, I can think we'll of specific come, people. Tell them to come join us. It's going to be the silliest show on earth. We will. Yeah, you're on right. turntables. Yeah, you're right. So, so Joel, why don't you take us out, man? Because uh, I think we'll uh, take us out. We've taken we've taken up about twice as much time. That's Eric right. As we said we were. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks man. for having um, me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Really appreciate the conversation. And uh, we've done our plugs, I think, Jeff. Yep. And uh, look, it, it's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's tell us from New Orleans. And to, 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 to sit here and listen to Eric Kid Koala talk about the influence of New Orleans on his music is uh, is pretty touching for me. You know, like, I, I had no idea. And oh, you didn't know that? Oh, yeah. It, it was funny. I, I tell this to Ben all the time. He's always trying to get me to move here. Um, but my daughters love their schoolmates so much. 
right. in Montreal. So right. I, I think yeah. I would lose yeah. that. It's got to be about the kids. I get it. But um, but someday, no, absolutely. This yeah, is right. a, this is. But a, like a, you said, you got two more decades left, right? At least to, to get, to, just, to before get I feel like okay, now me and Charlie can actually trade. Yeah, you're bars. right. Bars. Yeah, you're right. And have well, look, folks, thank you, Eric. All and, right. uh, Brian Newman just stepped in. Thank you, Brian, for making this happen. Appreciate it. It's goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Uh, we'll see you next time at the uh, Tricentennial Ham Kick. Yeah, you're right. <laughs>